So I blame you because I don't know how else I, I just, got it. I, I mean, I have smiting powers now. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so, you know, everyone should just watch out and yeah, just don't contradict me <laughs> because I can smite any of you. <laughs> oh, friends, I've missed you. I have to say, like, watching Murder Among the Mormons, it was, like, so nostalgic for me. It made me hunger for uh, for infants. It made me want to go back to Utah. It made me want to go back to the 80s. Just, like... <laughs> so I can tell you, I know very well what they were doing for authentication in terms of the Joseph III blessing. Was so, that one so... of Hoffman's forgeries, the Joseph III oh, yeah. blessing? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I don't know the story behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah, tell us the whole story. That, that This is super interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, so like, again, this was one of the most important, you know, like, spectacular documents, and, and it also, it, like, does all these things that Hoffman likes, which is, you know, embarrass the Mormon church, you know, bring, you know, bring out a, uh, a thing that actually exists in, in the history, but we don't have a document for it. So if he hadn't killed anyone and he was he, he just had been found out to to have been a forger and done what he did do you think he'd be kind of like this folk anti-hero among the ex-mormon community wow that's such a good question glenn i yeah, haven't thought of that I because never... he's, he's he's such a villain is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 717 murder among the mormons Part one. And remember when Infants on Thrones used to have panel discussions and there were panelists like John Hamer and Jake Frost and Heather Craw? Well, guess what? Today we're going to do that again. Yeah, because Jake and Heather and John are back to talk about this Netflix documentary, Murder Among the Mormons. It's a three-part documentary. If you haven't seen it, I recommend that you watch it before this discussion. You'll follow it a lot better. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Tyler Meesom, the uh, executive producer, along with Jared Hess. Tyler's going to come on, and we're going to have a follow-up discussion from the perspective of the maker of the documentary. But this one is just a nice throwback to a classic time of Infants on Thrones panel discussion, sitting around with three of my favorite people in the world, John, Jake, and Heather. So without any further ado, here you go. Getting uh, it's getting pretty shaggy there. Right? Very COVID, COVID delicious. Yeah. COVID, COVID hair. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to be more like John. 
Donkey with Kong. with the hair and more like you with the beard. It's, uh, it's definitely like uh, gives you an air of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that, that, I've been wanting to get that air of legitimacy from you for so long, John. <laughs> yeah, you look like a professor that you know is a little bit aggressive sexually with you know his female <laughs> students but not like too over the top yeah a little bit so you you're, don't you're ever strike get... in the striking the balance you're I, right on the edge of being me too i i, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love that that's where you go jake you see me and you think oh yeah i i'd, I'd like for him to be a little more sexually aggressive than he actually is i, I like that thank you yeah speaking of which where's heather hi there hi how are you doing heather oh not so great you know Uh, yeah wait so they're saying you have a covid but you mean right now (laughs) no so i uh, i got covid eight and a half weeks ago and i still have daily headaches and dizziness and kind of incapacitated most of the yeah mostly incapacitated still oh my goodness yeah, it sucks. I, I saw I saw that you posted the other day that you had like your first headache free day. I did, and I got so smacked down by the universe for that. I've just had the oh, worst no. time since then. Oh, so headache hubris gets Yes. Oh. Yes. There, there was one headache free day. It has not been followed by any others. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I know I sound very unhopeful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a long well, time to be in pain. Oof. Do you, do you want to try to do this another time? Or are you feeling up to Oh it? my gosh. No, I cannot right. be counted on. It's a miracle I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited. Do we get, do we get Heather video? Oh no, no. I'm in a darkened room. Oh, uh, okay. All my right. eyes closed. Okay. But it's great to not see you. John Hamer is Jake on the call too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here too. I'm here too. Hi. 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 I, do you remember we were supposed to like be getting together to play um yeah, like games, games online like, like uh, and I was like, "Oh, I'm getting a migraine, can't do it." That was when yeah. I first came down that with was COVID. The, that was the start of it, huh? Oh, so, I blame you cuz I don't know how else <laughs> I, I got it. I, well, I mean, I have smiting powers now. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, everyone should just watch out. <laughs> And yeah, don't contradict me <laughs> because I can smite any of you. Yeah. <laughs> Heather, I haven't talked to you forever. I I'm know. so happy to hear it's your voice. Good. I mean, I see you on Facebook. That's all. So. Yeah. I, I follow your uh, food arrangements on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I see what was made. I yet. give the people what they want. That's it. I mean, there's <laughs> just nothing. It's like, I might as no, well take you... a picture of this meal because people like, 180 yeah. people will like it. So what's I don't know. We're doing salads now. It's like a salad. Hit. What's the difference? That's what I eat. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, but you know, you gotta do I mean in the in the in the day when there when you could go out and do something, you could take pictures of something that was more than just your salad, you know. Oh no, <laughs> people were still posting salad in those days. Well, I mean, I was doing other things, but, but anyway, you were I, you were so you were cooler than salad. <laughs> well, I'm just saying I I'm I I'm sorry that I, I spammed the internet with that. But I don't have anything else to. No, show I, I love it. I, I I love it. Right on. So we're here, aren't we? Though. Right. Cool. Who wants to kick it off? The the uh, murder among the Mormons. Well, discussion. 
I or do, or do we need to so catch up more? Am I like rushing? Am I rushing the whole? No, uh, no. I mean, you're recording it already, right? So. Yeah, I, I started recording from the beginning. Because this has been gold. I, well, <laughs> anytime Jake talks about his smiting powers, I'm, I'm really happy that I have that recorded. Oh, you should really set up like a, smite, a smart microphone to like turn on when I'm talking about smiting. Yeah. Oh, friends, I've missed you. I have to say, like watching Murder Among the Mormons and by and I, you know, had to watch it in little pieces here and there, but it was like so nostalgic for me. It made me hunger for uh, for infants. It made me want to go back to Utah. It made me want to go back to the 80s. It's like my Utah. I remember all those um, anchors and reporters. I remember all of those. I, I was, I was like, wondering about that because I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in Utah, but I, I it made me nostalgic for the styles of the time. So th those oh, yeah. were like your anchors when you would watch TV. You know who all those people were. Oh yeah, and I'm pretty yeah. sure I had the couch that the Hoffmans did. The like, oh, yeah. Couch. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was that. That was a fun part of it, and I'm so glad John is here to clarify some of the issues about the documents because I I kind of remember reading about this stuff, but at the time nobody would talk about it. It was so hush hush because it was like if you're even curious about it, curiosity is a sin. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, so for me in Arizona, like in 1985, when these things happened, I, I was like 13 or 14 years old and I, I don't, I didn't really hear about the salamander. The salamander letter was the first thing that I ever heard about Mark Hoffman, but I was well into my thirties before I ever, before this really hit my radar at all. Yeah. I didn't learn about it until, um, until I was, 20, 21 at BYU. Yeah. So I found, I found like one of one of the books at, at the BYU library and that's when I first heard about it. So I mean, so with the murders were happening, I was 15 yeah. and I wasn't in Utah either. So I, so, no, so none of these things were familiar to me now, now it's, it's crazy and amazing to watch the documentary. Cause I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really good friends with Brett Metcalf and yeah. I know a lot of the other people like Kurt Bench and, you know, Sandra Tanner and everybody like that. And so when you were like, even just like this, you remembering how like, um, uh, well, the coward, for example. Anyway, so so you're remembering how like incredible this was for this little community that I'm a kind of a part of, that Mormon historians community, and what this you know just that there's on the one hand a guy who was forging everything and turning it upside down in that way. Uh, well, like like Linda Newell's in it and everything. Well, she's not not interviewed, but anyway, the same in the story, right? Anyway, and then but then um, but then also then he then murders the people in the community. Yeah. So it's horrible. Oh, yeah. I, I I still couldn't quite figure out what his game plan was with like the murders, in terms of like how he planned to pull off the the forgeries. Like I just don't understand how they were an avenue for him to get away with things. Yeah, were they just like a smoke? He's a dummy. Well, he did build a bite bomb. But he also blew himself I mean, in other words, I think I think that the thing about it is, it's like like with this guy, you know. So he's a clever forger, and so everyone's like, "Oh, he did all these things." With, you know, like as, as they were showing with like the the screen and grading, and he's using candles or whatever and making old paper older and and yeah. crackling the ink and all that kind. Of, so so he knows how to do. He's doing all that kind of thing, but on the other hand, he is living like a like a freak moron, you know, in terms of like you know like every every penny that comes in is 
pocket he's already he's already promised five dollars out you know yeah and so he's not he, he can't live even like on a basic you know like income and that kind of thought and, and it's like even like the new york uh, if you watch the in the netflix thing which we're reviewing here like his new york agent who says well we're selling we're selling like the what's functionally going to be the biggest document in all of like document collection history the oath of a freeman the very first printed document you know like which in back in those 80s dollars is, is you know like a 1.5 million dollars and and hoffman offers me 50 percent you know yeah. <laughs> you know you know what i mean it's Humanity. like it's like it's a commission like normally like i was expecting you know 5 10 15 percent or whatever i'm getting 50 percent. you know it just shows you know like the 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 nutso dummy way he's living you know like he'll bring he'll he's he's a small-time grifter who's forging uh little bits of documents he'll, he'll add a joseph smith signature to something and sell it for whatever 100 bucks you know and then and then and then he's also like bringing out these spectacular finds which he he undersells because he doesn't tell the difference between it. He doesn't have any big plan, you know? And so I think with the murders, he's, he really doesn't have a plan. So I think you're right to say, Jack, well, what was the game plan here with these murders? Because I don't think there was a good plan. I think there, I think there was at least, so his, um, his widow mentions that he had been threatening Mark Hoffman and he had said, you know, produce these documents or I'm going to expose you as a fraud. So I think- Right. So if it's Christian, yeah. his wife, I can't remember her name, but right. Right. So I no, think but you're saying felt, that Christensen had been threatening him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. His wife in, in the interview says he had, that Hoffman had been that her husband had been threatening Hoffman. You have to produce these. You know, we've got this deal for it. Produce them or I'm going to, you know, call your bluff and expose you as a fraud. Yeah. Yeah, they, well, they so didn't explicitly say anything about this, but the thought that I had when they, they showed this graphic a couple of times of, you know, a, an actor putting the box of documents with the bomb in the trunk of his car. Mm-hmm. And, and my sense of it was that he, he was hoping to say these McClellan documents that never actually did exist got destroyed in this bomb. Right. And that that yep. was kind of the, that what what he was really trying to do and then the murders were a distraction or something i don't know i i didn't quite no, no, understand I, I, and why I, he wrapped, think, it, wrapped it up with nails to intentionally kill somebody i yeah i don't know either well he wanted to kill him you know that's why he wrapped it with nails is yeah yeah a vicious sociopathic nihilistic killer or whatever but 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 anyway so to heather's point i think yeah he wanted to kill christensen because christensen's his contact between him and the lds church and he's got an $185,000 outstanding loan because mm. the LDS church gave him the money to secure this McClellan collection, which obviously didn't exist and he couldn't create. And so he kills Christensen and then he kills a sheets person. He, he kills Kathy sheets, but he, it doesn't matter who dies. He doesn't care, you know, because he's trying to say it wasn't Christensen wasn't killed for the Mormon documents. It's because of some Christensen business dealing. So he takes, mm. he kills a, he kills a member. He, you know, could it just puts it in front of the guy's house. And so he could have killed his business partner, this guy who had been his employer, to try to throw him off the track. But it clearly didn't work instantly because the Mormon church still wants their money back and they want to assign a new guy to him to find the McClellan collection or whatever. And so to your point, yeah, he wants to pretend that he's blowing up the McClellan collection in the last bomb. The last thing he wanted to do was blow himself up. So he puts it, 
He puts the bomb in his car. He puts documents that he hopes will get mostly blown up to pretend it's the McClellan collection. And he goes to whatever the store where, where Brent Ashworth he normally meets with. He sets the bomb. He goes to the guy. The guy didn't show up because people are getting blown up. And his wife said, don't go. All right. So he, and he stayed and so home was, and he had pizza and watched a movie. Yeah. And so good cute. for him and good for yeah. the wife, you know? And so that, and, and so, and so instead of that guy getting blown up, he goes back and now he's got an active live bomb in his car. And so he jiggles the car, try to see if how, how, how volatile it is. It doesn't blow up from the jiggling. He goes into the car and then tries to like lift it up and hopefully he's going to disarm it and it blows up on him. Right. And so did you get all this from the documentary or is this stuff that you knew extraneously? Well, so it's in the documentary. I think that that stuff that I'm kind of saying is in. Yeah. I think that is the documentary's good. If you paid attention, Glenn, I know you I would was, know this. I was too busy growing my beard. <laughs> but but I also have read books on this. So the, so the yeah. I mean I know people who've been involved too. And right. so, um, but yeah, the book is uh, like I, I, there, there's multiple books on this, and a lot of them are worse. I mean, there's problems with each one of them, but I think um, Brent Metcalf, who's like I say, a friend of mine who is intimately involved in this one, he's reviewed them all and he says that Salamander is kind of the best one, although there's errors in it. And so, so I reviewed that one after I read it because I was kind of like, yeah, this is, this was, I'm reminded of all this stuff, but I, but uh, I kind of reread that book. Okay. So, but do you know Shannon Flynn? No. Oh, too bad. He's like the star of the show for me. He's like the <laughs> funniest character. Oh, he's you the guy with the, the high voice, right? with a high voice the the one who's like alfred hitchcock yeah and he's like in a three-piece suit with like pieces of flair yeah and getting interviewed in a movie theater that was amazing oh. yeah i don't i don't know that guy but i'm like wow <laughs> he's, he's, he made it very dramatic <laughs> so. the, the voice is is real too right i mean my gosh everything so. about him is so over the top I, I I think that he had had some sort of I that this is totally based on my experience in in you know intensive rehab environments, but um, it sounded a lot like people that had like serious that like had a an invasive kind of reconstructive surgery inside of their throat. Mm. Yeah. So if he had like had I don't know throat cancer or something like that, and then had to have. Or some, I, I have no idea at this point. I'm talking about out of my ass. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but I, I it sounded like that to me too. Yeah, yeah. that's but that's it was amazing the, the the effect, like Heather says. Overall, it was. <laughs> did, did you have reconstructive ass surgery, Jake? Because that voice talking out of your ass sounds exactly like the voice talking out of your larynx. I know my mouth was moving too. So yeah. uh, <laughs> wow, I, I really had to, you know, I have to fool people. Yeah, and just move my mouth at the same rate as you know. That last okay. words are coming out. Um, okay. So one thing that I kind of wish that it had spent more time on is like the, I guess the, the, it, it seemed like it was kind of for an audience of people that were like pretty familiar with Mormon doctrine. I don't know. It seemed like there was a lot of stuff that was kind of taken as a given where like, oh, you're familiar with like how important this thing is. But it, I mean, come looking at it from the outside, I can't imagine that people would be, but I don't know. I, I can't really tell. I, I enjoyed it because, you know, obviously I'm already immersed in that, in that uh, world. 
but um, I, I, I would have appreciated some more kind of dives into like forensic um, document evaluation and kind of how that, how it, uh, how it, it, um, how they applied like forensic document evaluation. Yeah. I felt the, the same way. And I was, yeah. I was surprised they didn't do more with like handwriting or vocabulary, kind of the way that you authenticate documents now and, you know, in a court of law, it's, yep. it seems yeah. like kind of thin. Yeah, it, 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 it did seem kind of thin and it was like, you know, whatever, every, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it seemed like when they actually found it, when they figured out what it was, like the, the ink cracks, I don't know. It kind of seems like that should have been something that got pulled up earlier. Like, yeah. like Good when point. they have expert, like when I, when they have experts sign off, that this is authentic. It's what are they doing? Right. Well, well, I can tell you though. I mean, so like that thing though that they're looking for for that crackly ink thing, that was a that was a weird breakthrough that they're doing whatever the FBI is doing, right? Yeah. So so I can tell you, I know very well what they were doing for authentication in terms of the Joseph the Third blessing. Um, you know, and so when when that thing came to um, our LDS headquarters, was that so, one of Hoffman's forgeries, the Joseph the oh, Third blessing? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I don't know the story behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell us the whole story. That that this is super interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so like again, this was one of the most important, you know, like spectacular documents, and and it also it like does all these things that Hoffman likes, which is, you know, embarrass the Mormon Church, <laughs> you know, bring, you know, bring out a uh, a thing that's actually exists in in the history, but we don't have a document for, you know, like mm -hmm. so the preceding the preceding. Um, huge spectacular find was the Anthon transcript, right? Because so, so we know that there was an Anthon transcript and it's lost. It's, it's, a, it's an important, it's really important in the Mormon story and it's lost. Same thing, the Joseph the Third blessing. So, so there, has, there were multiple occasions in Joseph Smith's so, life. Sorry, that, so, uh, sorry when, when you're talking about the Joseph the Third blessing, like what, I guess, can we get a little more context around? Uh, you were probably just about to say this, but like, can yeah. we get a little more context around? Yeah. Yeah, so there are multiple right, occasions sorry. in I'll Joseph be... Smith's life, so Joseph Smith Jr.'s life, where he um, took his son and he laid, you know, like laid his hands on his head and said, you are my successor. You will be the um, successor in the high priesthood. You will be a prophet after me by right and by lineage, you know, and so I, I ordain you to that office. And, and so one of the times that that happened, as we know, is, is in, in Liberty Jail. So when Joseph Smith got arrested and he thinks he's going to get executed and that kind of thing. And so we have um, uh, Emma brought the kid to the jail and Joseph Smith did that. Another time is in Nauvoo in the, the red brick store in the upper room, you know, he, he gets all of the Mormon leaders and they all come together and he does another one of those, those ceremonies and says that you're going to be my successor. And then finally, the very last act that he has before he leaves Nauvoo, before he gives himself up to arrest in Carthage, uh, he has another one of these blessings where he says that you're going to be my successor. So, so there are multiple occasions that are witnessed by you know, everybody from Brigham Young to Lyman White. And, and uh, anyway, so we have lots of accounts, but there are no, no documents. 
So we don't have any one of the texts of any of these blessings. And so Hoffman is aware that this is an embarrassing thing for, for the Mormon church, because obviously it goes counter to, you know, any claim, whatever it might be that Brigham Young has to be the successor. Uh, and, and, in, and so he, but there's no text, right? And so what he likes to do is fill in and make a document. So he writes a document out, which is purporting to be um, a uh, transcript of one of these blessings. And, uh, and it's written by, uh, in the handwriting of uh, Thomas Bullock, who's an early member who later becomes one of Brigham Young's clerks out in Utah. Uh, and so he he writes it in in that format and or in that as a, as if it's that. But how, but and so what do you so you're asking before about the tests and things like that. How how would you do? So so he in order to get the paper to put it on, he goes into libraries. He finds a 19th century book. Books have blank pages on the front, two side and ends. You go into a library, you see the historic pages, you get a exacto knife, and you cut the pages out of those books. And now you have uh, paper that if you were to do a test on it, it would turn out that it was plus or minus 10 years, you know, from 18, you know, 40. And so he get a piece of paper like that and he mixes all of his ink or whatever, you know, using all of the kind of stuff and then he ages it, you know, and, and it's only the crackling that, you know, exposed that later. And so then he, and so then he also duplicates other Thomas Bullock writing. And so he's like, you know, following the, however Thomas Bullock has that kind of cursive and he's telling a, and a story that is absolutely true. So in other words, so that blessings, those existed, that's something that happened in history. And so as a result of that, people all thought it was authentic. And so how was it authenticated? So they, um, it was sent to handwriting experts who look at the two different types and say, this is, there's no reason to imagine that it's a forgery from handwriting. It's sent out for analysis in terms of the age of the paper. The paper comes back as 19th century paper. And so, and so that's the level of authentication that they even did. They said, okay, there's no anachronisms that we can see. Uh, and, and so therefore it's viewed as not, an, an, not disqualified as a forgery anyway. So, which is to say then people say it's authentic, although that doesn't mean it is. <laughs> so. what, what comes to mind as you're talking about that is like the writing of the gospels after Christ has been dead for, you know, a century or more people like, filling in the stories and writing as though they were one of the characters there it seems like you know oddly familiar yeah well the difference there is <laughs> that, uh, well, you know yeah, so not, you know again a direct analogy well i mean i mean the thing about it is is that you know again going so there's there's a falsification in terms of finding that we don't have anything like that in terms of manuscripts right so well, for right, early we don't have the handwriting of the actual mark <laughs> to compare it to right there is no mark and so mark is a <laughs> you know there's an author who's an anonymous author that we don't know the name of and it was later assigned to his na the name mark right and so and and in that sense like you say it's not it's not a it's not an eyewitness writing so even, and it doesn't actually claim to be, even though later, later tradition claims it to be. So. so could we go back to that Joseph, the third blessing for a minute? Yeah. What, the, the, the contents that Hoffman put in there, what, what were the, I mean, aside from the, the fact that he's pointing out, Joseph actually did say that his son would be the successor, ha ha Mormon church. Were there right. any other little Easter eggs that he slipped into that blessing that, you know, would, would give the Mormon church a black eye that you remember? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, let's hear it, man. Let's have fun. Okay. Let's play so, with it. So, so the Joseph the Third blessing says, he shall be my successor to the presidency of the high priesthood, a seer, a revelator, and a prophet unto the church, which appointment belongeth to him by blessing and also by rights. So in other words, that's what the Did blessing Did you memorize says. that like the Boy Scout oath? Oh, yeah. That's what we had to do in our LDS scouts. We had to, you had to, I, I, I promise. <laughs> You're doing the Vulcan. Wait, is that, is that Vulcan or is that Nanu Nanu from Mork? That's both. Doing Nanu, okay. oh, no, yeah, Nanu Nanu. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, no, definitely. No, I'm definitely reading it. But anyway, it's a. Oh, um, oh you're reading it. Okay. I was reading. super impressed. Thank you. But but then what happens is, so Hoffman does this whole scam right where he's got this blessing and he tries to play the rlds church and the lds church or he successfully plays the rlds church and lds church off of each other in order to try to get the price up mm. and he double deals and scams and blah 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 anyway and so at the end of it though it ends up um making a big mess and and rlds church gets it you know and uh ultimately after after it goes to the lds church and blah blah and all this business but anyway then what he does is he says, so this was, again, supposedly in the handwriting of this Thomas Bullock guy, right? So, um, which is to say Brigham Young's clerk. And so then what he does is he says, well, there was a whole Bullock collection that I, that I found this document. It was with all of Thomas Bullock's papers. And so he takes uh, another one of the, the letters from the Bullock collection. He goes and has a personal private one-on-one -on -one interview with Gordon B. Hinckley. And he shows Hinckley another letter that was written by um, Thomas Bullock to Brigham Young. And the letter of it was like, this was like not sent version or, you know, whatever, you know, kind of like the, yeah. his own copy. And he, and he said, and, and Bullock is complaining to Brigham Young. He says, you know, so, so even though I do believe you're the successor, I, I'm totally bought into you being uh, prophet because because I think that Joseph III forfeited his right to be the president of the church. Nevertheless, he says, quote, I do not believe that this gives you license to destroy every remnant of the blessing which he received from his father. Uh, so in other words, he's saying in here, so you, Brigham Young, the fact that you are actively suppressing all of this evidence against you um, is uh, is is something, you know, so another and then he and he gives it to Hinckley and he says, um, you know, it's like, I'm not, he actually says like, I, I don't want to blackmail the church over this. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, so he ultimately that letter, he just donates directly to Hinckley. Hinckley takes the letter and he takes it right to the first presidency vault. He doesn't tell another Mormon historian about it. Nobody even on the LDS church history staff or anything like that. It just goes right in the suppression vault. So. Who, who found out about it then? Well, so it's so after the bombings, you know, they they mm -hmm. they they admit about it like years later, or okay. a couple years later. So. Wow. See, those are the those are the kinds of stories that like I just uh, I'm I'm interested in that. And the documentary really didn't go into the the contents of these forgeries aside from the white salamander piece of the salamander letter. That was yeah. really the only thing it, it focused on, and I I understand why. <laughs> But um, it, it focuses on the murder, we, murder, murder mystery kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So people like crime and for murder. a broad audience, right? right. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, when they talked about, you know, what they were trying to explain why to a non-Mormon audience why this would be so damning for the church, why it would be so such an explosive revelation that he uh, heard about the plates from the mouth of a white salamander, and everyone's like, oh, you know, that takes it away from legitimate angels and puts it in the 
realm of folk magic. And we're, and nobody mentions that the Bible starts out with a talking snake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I had, I um, had a friend who is not LDS watch it and enjoyed it as a kind of like a crime uh, who done it, you know, but also was like, how is that so much different? I mean, it's already so crazy. Like to the non-Mormon audience, it was like, okay, so as a white salamander, uh, sounds perfectly as, as logical and as plausible as all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, anyway, but that's not the Mormon church leader's position. <laughs> so, you know, so right, right. They, I mean, in other words, you know, yeah, I, actually, I think when that, when the salamander letter came out, and it was authenticated and, and uh, G Dean Jesse and all of the, you know, historians that are LDS historians or whatever had said, okay, this is probably authentic because it totally is in keeping with everything we know about Joseph Smith's folk magic background, you know? So even though it's embarrassing, it's, I mean, Hoffman wasn't writing stuff that's, he's actually, it, the problem with the Salamander letter, the reason why Gerald Tanner was able to identify it as a fraud is that it's very closely dependent on, on a, um, affidavit by Willard Chase, one of one of Joseph Smith's uh, money digging friends. And so and so because it's almost exactly the same as that, um, uh, it's not like uh, some kind of crazy new thing that wasn't that was out out there. It was just something that nobody that Mormons no, didn't know about because they they don't list. They don't care what Willard Chase said because he's nobody. But when Martin Harris says it, it's a problem. Right. Mm. And so and so farms had to write the kind of apologetics like Heather you're talking about, well, you know, it's like there's a snake in Genesis talks. <laughs> so what's the big deal, you know? So the, so the apologetics got, you know, went, went to town on it when they thought it was authentic anyway. So. Tell me about Brent, Brent Metcalf. Cause I, I, I recognize the name. I've never had any interactions with him, but I was, I was really touched by his, self-awareness yeah no uh, uh you know like being able to reflect back on that time in his life that was obviously super traumatic for him yeah but i he was one of my favorite talking head characters in that documentary just because of that level of emotion and sincerity that he brought what, what what's yeah, your relationship he, like with him um i guess i'd say i'm really good friends with him we hang out um when we can yeah. uh uh he he's a major he's been a major thinker in you know like so like not long after this whole salamanders thing uh um he it's you know a few years later they he published with dan vogel this edited volume called new approaches to the book of mormon hmm. which is a, a, a i think is a a really an amazing um you know collection of articles that really you know got people thinking of this thing in a different way than had been. And so he's a, a very uh, committed scholar who is, you know, looks into all of these kind of details. He's a frontline researcher. Uh, he's married to my friend, Aaron Metcalf, who's another amazing frontline researcher who finds out all this kind of stuff. And so they, they're, they're very good at all this kind of details. Um, but yeah, but it was clearly also something that was, uh, affected him at a really yeah pivotal developmental moment and you can tell it because you know like you also seeing in the in the in the historic footage right yeah because he and that, and that was i've never seen that before and so seeing that for the first time you know where he's 
you know, and even as he's reflecting on it, he's like, I couldn't believe it. You know, like I'm, I'm with this guy. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we were close and, and he was manipulating me or, you know, this kind of thing essentially because I was actually defending him on TV, you yeah. know, and, and he was, and we watch it. And so now he looks back on it and see, you know, but you, so with hindsight, right. Well, for him to be able to say, I, I couldn't accept the truth that this had skipped my radar system. Yeah. That, 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 that there's, there was something flawed in me that was able to be fooled. Like I didn't want to admit that, there, there was that I could be fooled. That's, that's massive. That is so huge. Yeah. And I, I had so much respect for him to be able to be aware of that. And yeah, is, is, is he, is he still in the church? Is he out? Is no. he kind of, yeah, no, yeah? he's been out for, ever, okay. you know, kind of since that time. Yeah. Hmm. So, but yeah. Um, but he's still, uh, he's still active in doing Mormon history scholarship and, um, and certainly was, has been, I, I mean, I, I, he's probably, um, I, I would say out of like everybody who's doing work on, um, on Book of Mormon stuff, I'm probably uh, more in tune with him than almost anybody else. I, I, I feel like he's, he's always get, hits the right thing, even including his, um, uh, you know, like partner in, the, in collaboration in that Dan Vogel, who I mm. also respect. But anyway, I just think that I, I, I tend to, when they disagree, I tend to agree with Brett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so... <laughs> Yeah. So what's it, I mean, they, they address this in the, in the documentary at some point, um, but it did seem a little possibly suspicious that like he happened to find all of these, <laughs> all these documents that were like missing. Oh, that Mark Hoffman just was yeah, like a magnet. Yeah, he was like, finding, yeah, he was a magnet yeah, for like finding the these documents. Jones. Like, oh, I found that. Hey, you're looking yeah. for this? You mean made something like order, this document right, right here? He, yeah. he did stuff that was made to order. Yeah. It, in retrospect, it's crazy because actually, you know, like if you actually do go through, so they didn't even do it in the documentary and they don't, they don't normally go through. But if you actually look, list off all of the forgeries that he did, like 80 or whatever, you know, it's crazy town. They imagine that, that nobody put the pieces together. Yeah. yeah. And they talk yes. about other forgeries as well that like, I really wanted to hear about like the Abraham uh, I mean, Lincoln. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's like an Abraham what? Lincoln one. I think there was one from, I don't know. Emily Betsy Dickinson. Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Emily Dickinson. Yeah. He wrote an Emily Dickinson poem. I want to hear it. Is it it any good? (laughs) Well, I I I would say those those are less though. I think, I mean, yes, if you were, if you were looking at him, those would be obvious. Right. But on the other hand, if there's only one new Emily Dickinson poem, if he was like finding like 50 of them, (laughs) that would be, in other other words, the Emily Dickinson scholar should be noticing that. You know, what I'm saying is like, so he's got one of those and one Abraham Lincoln thing and one oath of a Freeman. So the rest of the American society is like, okay, well, why would they know any better? But the problem is there's like 80 Mormon history documents. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In pre-internet times, he was smart to spread it around to different groups, but he just, he flew too high on wings of salami. Just too many (laughs) of these, too many of the Mormon documents. And I did, you know, again, my friend who was an LDS watched it and she was like, oh, by the time we got to the third one, I was like, yeah, it's so suspicious. There were so many of them coming out at the same time. But when it's happening, it's like, oh, he's got some kind of source. He's got that, you know, he won't reveal his sources because who would? Yeah. 
Well, and he's actually he's actually doing he's actually you know, like spreading it around, and so he's got all these friends in the Mormon uh, Mormon documents collection community, and in some cases he like gives them the document and has them bring it out, right? And so and he actually has them not tell, and they don't want to tell anyway because they want to be you know like they want to get, get the, the credit, credit for, for the having discovered it. Thing. Yeah, and so and so so that he is doing that kind of thing, and so and so and the other thing I would just want to say you know to not. You know, say to everybody in all of Mormon history in the 1980s was a dummy or something like because they're not. What it, what it had happened was this was the first time that actually all of Mormon history documents, you know, had kind of been known and available and under scrutiny of actual historians. So in other words, the 1960s and the 1970s, all of the stuff had been coming out that was damning and all that kind of thing. And so Hoffman is just kind of like um, taking away. what was already, yeah, it's already there. And he's just yeah. like, taking what was already to seven and bringing it up to 11 <laughs> or whatever. And so I think that the people were not, um, I don't know. I, in that sense, I think it's like they were used to it, you know? And so, yeah. I was so disappointed as I was watching it and they were talking about his plan to do a forgery of the, what was on the small plates of Nephi. Mm, I, yeah. Or those hundred, the lost hundred sixty pages. pages. Yeah, yeah. Um, not the yeah. small plates. We've got the small plates. Yeah, but we don't have this, the, the large Jeez. plates. Look, I, like, look at me failing my scripture mastery after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I I I'm really interested to see what he had in mind. With like what what story he would have told, how how he would put egg on the face of the Mormon Church with you know the recovered lost hundred and sixty right. pages. Well, Layman and Lemuel were gay for each other. And... <laughs> gay incest. Gincest. I mean, there almost certainly would have been way more magic, right? Than what actually made it into the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon has a bunch of magic stuff in it, but it would have been more of that because he, because that was clearly like Hoffman's thing. He, he liked uh, embarrassing the church with magic yeah. stuff. And, and, and probably some contradictions that would have just seemed very innocuous but would have yeah. like under examination been really huge. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the other thing that came to me, I, I don't know, you know, when he was, when you, when you got to hear Mark Hoffman's actual voice from those recordings talking about, you know, like why he didn't feel bad about killing people, it was very nihilistic and yeah. like kind of, you know, the, the, the worst type of, atheistic nihilistic view like instead of being like oh well i've only got one day so i might as well make it the best it's like oh we've only got a certain amount of time left and it doesn't matter so what's what's the big deal right yeah it was dark to like yeah. hear yeah. his his confession i mean it is pretty rare to get like that that much of a confession of like somebody willing to articulate all of their motives yeah if it's so even like true like i didn't even know how much of what he was saying i really you believe, felt comfortable yeah. trusting yeah because it because it, it seemed like he really really wanted to get uh the the spotlight at that point and to control the narrative because he wasn't you know like when they showed him walking out of the courthouse he's like i'm not gonna respond he's got that little smirk on his face i don't know i was reading a lot into that yeah i don't know how much to trust with this guy of what he's saying probably, probably none yeah <laughs> Oh, so like really deep down, he actually did care about killing those people. Oh, I wouldn't. I actually, actually, I don't think that. I mean, the thing <laughs> no, is, like, willfully painting yeah, yourself as a nihilist. It seems yeah. like a pretty. I mean, 
how much worse can you get? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, when, he, when he's, when he was talking, I mean, like, like, like Heather was saying, I, I was, I mean, I, I shouldn't probably have immediately had my mind connect to this, but I was like thinking of the quote from the big Lebowski, <laughs> you know, which is, which is, I mean, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, dude. <laughs> At least it's an ethos, <laughs> you know, not nihilism. You know what I mean? At least it's at least it's an ethos. <laughs> See, I thought I thought he was covering his butt with that because he was like, "Well, I wasn't malicious or anything." You know, in my worldview, I nobody's suffering after death because there right. is no after death. And I, I thought he was actually trying to make himself sound like less of a sociopath by <laughs> adopting nihilism. Mm. <laughs> Which, if, if so, it shows what a nut he is. Because, I mean, obviously, that's not the way police hear that. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, I don't yeah. care if a kid picked it up and blew up. I don't care. You know, it wasn't didn't matter to me if Kathy Sheets bit it or her husband or a kid or the dog or nobody it doesn't matter because that's not the point and 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 they're dead anyway so (laughs) So. yeah yeah well I mean I guess he had already made his plea bargain at that point so so he's like playing to the larger audience and he's never come out and made a statement since right he's just leaving it there yeah yeah so if he hadn't killed anyone and he was he, he just had been found out to to have been a forger and done what he did do you think he'd be kind of like this folk anti-hero among the ex-Mormon community? Wow, that's such a good question, Glenn. I yeah, haven't thought of that I because never... he's, he's, he's such a villain that it just never even entered my mind. But I, I suppose there's there's got to be a certain crowd who would root for somebody to embarrass the church in the way that exactly in the way, manner that he did just to show that it was possible. Yeah. Yeah, like... Mike Norton's never killed anybody, <laughs> but I could I could see people looking at Mark Hoffman and being like, "Way to go! Way to put that egg on the Mormons! Way way to show that they don't have uh, the ability to discern, discern truth and and you know like put them I in mean, their place." It is like he has been held up in that way to some extent, where like people talk. I mean, people show the picture of him meeting with you know. Kimball. Elder Nelson or Kimball yeah. or whatever, and like shaking hands with the prophet and handing off like documents and that kind of thing, and saying, like, look, these prophet seers and revelators didn't even know this person was a forger and is uh and was like scamming them for forged documents. Yeah. Right. What did so, what did you think and, about the what was it Turley? Was it was he the one that gave the response that was like the church's here's our response to the discernment thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's, I mean, what else, what else can you possibly say? I mean, I just it remember, seem like there's really a, an out there. So what did he say? He said something he like said, that the Lord's not going to take away people's uh, no, free said, agency. Oh, go ahead. Quote, the quote. theologic, the theological <laughs> response. I want you to, to sing that. it. We, we need to sing this. And the make theological this response to that <laughs> is that God gives people the agency to choose between right and wrong. And as an omniscient being who knows all of this, he doesn't step in and interfere. Why would he? The idea is the idea being the universal detection of crimes or sins would revoke the agency that God has given to each of his children to make their own decisions. 
Yeah. So, so I find so that, take that wildly haters. satisfying. I find that so conclusive and satisfying. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it totally conclusively says that 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 if God ever talked to Mormon prophets, which clearly um, Turley is saying he does not, that would violate all of free agency and the problem of evil. So in other words, there would be no agency if God was telling Mormon prophets things and speaking to them as if, as if they were like, like God was a human being talking to them. And so it's clear from Turley's response that that never happens. Yeah. So there I we dropped go. It's, mic. it's admitted. <laughs> mic drop. It is. it is a mic drop moment. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I used to love that kind of stuff. Whenever, like when I was a TBM and somebody would bring some kind of like, well, it can't be true because of this reason, this reason. And I just give it a little bit of, oh yeah, but because of this, that totally delegitimizes your concern. So take that. And it's kind of like anything you can do, I can do better. This one upsmanship. Did, did any of you guys play that game of like Mormon apologetic kind of, what, what, would, you, what would you call that? Just defending the faith? I, I wasn't an apologist. No, no, you, <laughs> so, you, you left. You left. It was too early, early, so I don't know. Yeah. But I, I, but I was, I was, I was struck by kind of like Richard Turley's kind of very Lee. smug answer. Yeah, there. yeah it was very it. smug. You know, yeah. like right after Sandra Tanner was saying, uh, you know, like they did a direct cut, right? So yeah. Sandra Tanner was saying, you know, if these guys have discernment, if if God is talking to them like human, like a, like like a man talks to anybody else, and that's if that's what a prophet is. Why do we have a picture of Spencer W. Kimball not only meeting with a with a forger, but holding a magnifying glass, looking directly at the forged document, yeah. and and saying, "Here's twenty thousand dollars. Thank you, sir." <laughs> you know, so. And that was, and that's a smug answer. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like that's in in terms of like becoming a, a folk hero. I don't know. I feel like he already has been. I mean, not. To a certain extent, like he has been like that, that picture of him, you know, handed over to, to Kimball and like him, you know, getting the check for it and that kind of thing. Like all that being documented does kind of does, I guess, prove that point, not prove the point, but but that that there's egg on the face from that, you know, and that is always there, even if the guy did blow up some people with pipe bombs which you did which you did yeah which you did allegedly allegedly no, not allegedly <laughs> he confessed no no i'm a mark hoffman truthist all right my love was framed I, I hate to do this, but that's about as much as I can do. It was absolutely lovely to interact with you a little bit and I'll be thrilled to listen to the rest of it another time. So good night and good luck and um, take care. Take care. You take care of yourself, Heather. Thanks. Take care. Feel yeah. Heather, it's been so I wonderful guess. to be able to talk to you again. Likewise. Let's do it again. All right. And, uh, all right. Night, night. Bye. Night. Well, I don't, I don't really have anything more to add. Do you, is there anything more that you guys wanted to say that we haven't already discussed? I mean, I, I not, not as such. I, I mean, I would, one thing I would have liked to get more from the documentary is diving into the kind of weird, not weird, but the very unique um, world of like Mormon exotic document 
hunting. Mm. Yeah. And like, even what that, I don't know. It just seemed like such a fascinating world to be in. So I, uh, I would have yeah, liked well, to see more. It's only, it's only continued by the way. So like when he's like, like that, the, like the first, some of the first documents, like even that are in the, um, in, you know, like when uh, the very first document that he forges and is in the documentary and he's talking to Sandra Tanner he, and Sandra doesn't even know who he is. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, um, but he's bringing out this like uh, typescript or, you know, a letter that is supposedly talking about the, the second anointing, the secret second anointing uh, ceremony and it's stamped Salt Lake temple. And it's uh, and there's a, and it's handwritten across, destroy this copy, <laughs> you know, so all of the, all of the great things that make it valuable. Right. And so yeah. it's like supposedly from the Salt Lake temple, a second anointing transcript from like 1920. And, and he's floating it, trying to get the, the tanners excited about it. He ultimately sells that thing for 60 bucks. Mm. You know, so it's just like a very small time, you know, like a small time grift. But, you know, like that's how he get, kind of gets into it. Anyway, so from there, I mean, you can imagine nowadays, if you actually had a document like that, it's not being sold for 60 bucks on eBay. You know, there's yeah. all of these things that are worth a lot more. And so every single one of these things, you know, is so much more valuable. Uh, because because the documents market has just gone crazy and now everybody's so wealthy compared to what they were in the past and people are interested in the and the in in souvenirs or 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 relics whatever you want to call it and there's so many rich mormons that'll pay anything he's he like forged two two um scraps of the original book of mormon manuscript you know, which he sold to people like, so like you, if you wanted to get your, you know, the book, the original Book of Mormon manuscripts has been largely destroyed because, because Joseph Smith put it in the, in the time capsule in the, in the cornerstone of the Nauvoo house. And so, and so eventually they dug it up, you know, uh, Emma's, Emma's uh, later husband, Lewis Biderman dug it up and it was all ruined from water because everything you put in a time capsule is ruined from water. And so then he just takes the scraps out and gave them to people as souvenirs when they would come and visit that kind of thing, you know? And so, and so more scraps. So Hoffman forges scraps for people. If you wanted like a copy of like a, your favorite passage of the original manuscript of the book of Mormon, he produces those, those things would be worth a million dollars each nowadays or whatever, or 2 million or 5 million or whatever. He sells them for like, you know, I don't know, a thousand bucks or something. I don't even know. So. Hmm. Yeah, th- honestly, I would, I would, I, I wouldn't pay like, you know, thousands of dollars, but I, uh, I would like to see like an authentic Hoffman forgery. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if well, there's a market for like authentic Hoffman forgeries. Yeah, I'm sure there is. At some point or other, if we if we have a gathering in Independence, we can go see the Joseph the Third blessing. We got it in the in the vault. Yeah. Oh, the the one that was forged. It's still in the vault. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how how was it? Uh, I mean, how did you find out it was a forgery, or just because it was Hoffman? And it was like, it's oh, it's probably. <laughs> no, it's we can tell it's a forgery because he for he confessed, you know. So. <laughs> oh, he could uh, he confessed to forging that one specifically. Yeah. Okay. Specifically, well, yeah. that'll. So yeah, so it's a forgery. <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, anyway, so yeah, so but still have it, yeah. But yeah, I would have liked to see. I would have liked to seen, like to have seen more of like of, about that world of like exotic Mormon documentation. Like, well, I guess exotic Mormon document historical historical document like hunting and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So the way he was doing it purportedly, supposedly, and people do this, which is that, you know, like Mormons do genealogy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you go back up the tree to you find like a, a, a clerk of Brigham Young or something like that. And then you go down to the like the first son, first son, first son and find out, you know, like if they're holding on to some papers from the ancestors or something like that. Yeah. And so subsequently what's happened. So after Hoffman, what, what Mormons didn't immediately understand is, you know, it's like my Hoffman is finding these things. It's all a fraud. He didn't find anything, yeah. mm -hmm. but the technique actually works. And what, and what Mormons didn't actually immediately understand was that whereas um 50% of people in the church as of 1844 went west with Brigham Young, that there are something like whatever it is, you know, 10 million descendants of those people. And so they may have, they may have brought with them 50% of the documents, but 50% of the documents didn't go there. And, and so, and so, and so if you were going to go and track down the descendants of the Cutlerites or the descendants of the Whiteites or the descendants of the Strangites or whatever, yeah. it turns out that they actually had access to really, really, really valuable documents because there's only a uh, hundred of them left or something like that, or 20 or six or something like that. And so they're, they're heirs to a, a vast proportion of it compared to what Brighamites are heirs to, right? Mm. So each Brighamite yeah. is heir to a one millionth of what the other people are heir to. And so as a result, you're able to, you know, snap up their stuff. And that happens <coughs> later in the eighties and nineties and things like that. So, so like, what are some of the big, have there been any, um, well, I'm sure there have been, but what have been the major discoveries in, in uh, Mormon documents over the, of the past, like, I don't know, 20 years legitimate discoveries yeah yeah good discoveries i'm trying to even think of what would be i mean um i mean there's letter i mean it'd just be like letters that everybody has so you're trying to find like a joseph smith signature like i mean i know that for example we have in like the um in the kirtland temple visitor center we've got like oliver cowdery's book of mormon mm -hmm. You know, so like it'll be like a Book of Mormon and it has Oliver Cowdery's signature on it and that kind of a thing. You know, so this is the kind of thing that like Hoffman would make because he'd take an old Book of Mormon and then he'd sign Oliver Cowdery on it and that makes it more valuable. So, but if you can actually find the real one, then that's something. Um, but it's not, it's not like, um, I don't know that there's been things where people found stuff that are like really scandalous, like Hoffman was finding. You just find stuff that people really want, like, um, and there's been exciting stuff that's been found. So like there was like, uh, for me, for historians, <laughs> so, you know, you know, like where, where you find like uh, papers of, you know, like, like, like a bunch of the, um, uh, I'm trying to think of who the guy's name is. Um, I don't know. Anyway, some of the, some of the various ites, right. And so they'll find like, uh, you know, not the Whiteites, but like the Thompsonite papers and things like that. And so, and so there'll be like whole letters, of, you know, like on all of the Alphaeus Cutler stuff and all, you know, so you find these kind of collections and you get, and you get more information. So there's just crazy amounts of all of this information, but the things that yeah. are really valuable are, you know, like, so what Hoffman was doing was its own special scandalous thing because, because the more discrediting it, it was the more the Mormon church wanted to buy it to suppress it. Yeah, you know, and and so the price, you know, he was trying to get the price to go up, and then and then it would also be like the earliest Joseph Smith stuff or Lucy Max Smith stuff, and so and so then people wanted to pay a lot of money to have you know like Joseph Smith signature stuff that kind of thing. 
There's an alternate reality somewhere where Mark Hoffman didn't murder anybody. He was just doing forgeries <laughs> and he, and he forged manuscript found from the, the Spalding thing. Yeah, no, he was, he was work. He did that. Well, frankly. was he working on that? He didn't do manuscript found because we are, we actually have it, but yeah, the, the other one, well, the, the, pretend the, oh, one. The, the, the one that was lost. <laughs> yeah. But what he did was he actually forged a, um, like a Spalding Rigdon deed. Oh, did he? Yeah, so which was which shows that he's not a historian. Uh, yeah, right. you know, so so because because that um, yeah. that would and frankly, you know, like you know, for I think it just went off for like it's a kind of like a one-off thing where he sells it for hundred bucks or something like that, right? But in, but he, you know, so he he was a kind of an amateur. The way he got all of this historical stuff. So the Joseph the Third blessing. Um, one of the problems with it is it's, it has absolutely the wrong date and everybody mm -hmm. who looked at it said so immediately. So Linda, Linda Newell, who's the author of, uh, of the, of the Emma Smith biography, when she got access to it, she says, this doesn't make any sense. Cause this is, this date doesn't, doesn't fit to any of the known blessing times. Right. Mm -hmm. And so lots of people were confused about that. And so what, what he would do though is, so he's part of the Mormon history community. And so he just phone up somebody who's, um, friend of his who's a mormon historian and say look i got a lead i somebody back east had says they have one of these joseph the third as a blessing that was like a transcript of joseph the third and I, I just don't even know how to authenticate it mm. what would be some of the details uh, that would show that it was the real thing or what would show that it really wasn't <laughs> and so then you know and so then these very nice mormon historians who you can call up these today would tell you all the answers you yeah. want to know on those oh, topics okay. yeah got it all right that's like some yeah it's like calling uh the instructor from when you like right in the middle of a math test and be like if you were to tell somebody right he yeah. would do that nine divided by 43 <laughs> is yeah. yeah what would you say the answer would be yeah yeah. And so, and so like, so like my friend, Mike Marquardt, who's just this great frontline historian who, you know, find, he knows the documents up and down. He's the, one of the best people on this whole thing. Kaufman would call him up and ask him those things. And Mike Marquardt is like the nicest, most innocent guy who would tell you anything you ever ask. And so Hoffman just told you, know, I mean, and it's not just him, it's everybody. Right. And so then when he takes it all down from Marquardt and then he goes to a different historian and, and, and shows him the document and the guy's like, Oh my gosh, that has this detail. There's no way that this has got to be real. You know what I mean? This kind of a thing, you know what I mean? So, so, so he wasn't, it's not that he knew all those things. He's, he's mining his uh, community, the community to, to get the thing, you know? So. Right, and taking advantage of, of you know people's confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's actually obviously like a huge part of it is the fact that, and, and I think, um, I mean, somebody said this in the documentary. Actually, I think it was the person that you said whose name I can't remember right now. But um, sorry, Glenn, I'm pointing at you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, Metcalf. I think yeah. I think Brent Metcalf said I wanted to believe it, mm -hmm. and like he talked about that was one of the things. Like he, oh, it, it was the friend. It was that Shannon guy. Was that his, yeah, his name? That was who it was. That yeah. said, hey, I I didn't I didn't want to believe it. You know, like I I, I wanted yeah. to I wanted to yeah yeah right. I like wanted to believe. I, I think there is like, and that I mean, there's certainly like an amount of of confirmation bias playing into this, you know, and yeah. kind of tilting the scales in your favor. 
Um, well, that was another thing that really jumped out to me. You know, anytime you would see somebody who was a member of the church being interviewed, whether like Mark Hoffman's dad was definitely like this. There was one of the news anchors with the big like glasses was like this. There were a couple others that there's just a certain kind. It's almost like a passive aggressive certainty um, that I, that I found very familiar that, that I, I recognized my own passive aggressive certainty from that time was like, I know that this stuff is true and that people are going to come and tell me that I'm wrong, but I know that, you know, I'm not wrong. They're wrong. And um, I, that, that, that was something that jumped out to me watching this too, that, that I think that environment made it a little bit easier for Mark Hoffman to play yeah. around with their certainty and what, what they, you know, confirm 90% of the story, throw a little 10% curveball in there that puts some egg on the church's face, but he's, he's really playing with their confirmation bias. Well, by the way, a lot of the things didn't have the 10% egg. So, mm. so the only, the documents that we ever highlight and we talk about are the ones with the egg, mm. but he was also just given stuff that was just helping him out. Right. Mm. And that they were, that they were liking. And in some cases were um, built, you know, building up the repertoire of, right the handwriting right yeah so he'll like you know produce a bunch of positive martin harris documents or whatever so that in the future when he gets the 116 pages yeah because we don't have any martin harris handwriting now we can look back at all these martin harris letters that he's found yeah and that'll show that this 116 pages wow this the handwriting matches so it must be the real 116 pages so he was you know so he would do that thing where a bunch of them don't don't have egg on face you know yeah well, I think the I think the the take home message for me is is to drop the whole certainty thing, <laughs> and 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 be more comfortable with uncertainty, be more comfortable with doubt, being skeptical, and uh, then then maybe not as easy a mark. I don't know. And I actually think it, another takeaway from this whole thing is if you actually are. A clever person. This is the pro- one of the things about why why we people like these kind of crime stories because most criminals a lot of times are just really dumb and do dumb stuff. So like when a person um, stole my friend's checkbook, and then when they they got caught because when they were writing a check, the the person at the uh, at you know wherever they were trying to pass the check wanted their driver's license. They saw the driver's license and they got caught because it doesn't match obviously mm-hmm. the check. Yeah, <laughs> and that smart criminal yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know and this kind of thing so in this case with hoffman you know he's he's smart and clever in order to do do certain things but if if he was a, a really smart person the reality is is that a person could go into either being an insurance salesman or being a business executive and he would make so much more money yeah. than, than you'd ever make by these petty fraud right that he's yeah. doing and he and he couldn't he couldn't balance his checkbooks or himself based on the fact that you know like even no matter how much he's selling a spectacular thing they get sixty thousand bucks for and he spends in other words it, it, he's got to have another one so it so so he was never it was going to happen no matter what happened it, it, it didn't have to lead to bombing and murder right but it was going to lead to him getting caught because yeah. he he um, he couldn't in that sense th- this kind of petty crime or whatever doesn't pay right yeah <laughs> yeah I. I, I think I think I would have been interested to see some kind of a psychological profile as part of the documentary that that yeah. talked a little because yeah he did have those levels of of I I think brilliance but completely misapplied you know like he could yeah. have been wildly successful in in a profession that 
list the ship for everybody instead of yeah, or, or, or as, as like horribly really... exploitive but as legal as business <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't have to list the ship for everybody I'm just saying business <laughs> is easy there's like a hell of a lot of money in this world yeah you if you you could you could be quite a, a rotten person philosophically and just go into business and make a lot yeah. of money you know I don't know. yeah you don't have to be a nihilist that's prepared to murder people. <laughs> you know, I know, haphazardly murder people. I feel like the murders were not, they weren't like very methodically like planned. It just didn't seem like, like he really had an end game. He's saying he's like building bombs before he'd even decided what to do with them, right? So, so it's kind of, I mean, I feel like he's, that was like his personality, right? Which mm-hmm. is that I think he's like, he like has a little bit of like, basic prep that he's doing for stuff like learning as a young person how to beat a lie detector test right and so he's got it in his back pocket for when it happens you know but he doesn't have a plan you know and so i think for like he's like thinking maybe someday i'm gonna do this 116 pages so let's do some martin harris documents but i I don't think he's like thinking okay if i lay these out this way and this way and this way i can do this little thing and then i'm gonna suddenly make 1.5 million dollars on the oath of a freeman and that's gonna allow me to you know coast into you know like being able to put that money into into bonds <laughs> you know or something like that you know what i mean he's he's not he's not he can't he's not even living uh check to check he's living you know he scam to scam and he doesn't know what you know he doesn't have any plans you know it's so it's weird because it's like he's smart on some things but it's so, so dumb yeah. <laughs> yeah hopefully he's not hopefully he's not listening to this yeah i wouldn't yeah. hurt his feelings i know yeah. i wouldn't want to hurt the guy's feelings yeah well, I called him a dummy, so there we are. Okay. I'm, I've got more. I've got more than one sociopath mad at me, so there's, there's on the list. I'm sorry. Right on. All right. Any any final comments? None for me. None. Well, that was one. Well, I'll just say I I just love talking to you guys and Jake. It's just so great always to hear your voice and see yeah. your face, and yeah. I love it. Great to see you I mean, too, man. Yeah, it's really fun. I like seeing you too, John. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying. I'm like, I'm going. Yeah, like, yeah, I've never, like, yeah. My hair has never yeah, been I as mean, long as it is right now. I feel like I'm a mentor here. You're a little bit, a little bit. It's taken a while. <laughs> a mentor. <laughs> mentor. Yeah. Mentor. Mentor. Cool. Manly. All right. Well, let's do it again. All right. All right. Guys. All right. All right. Next Take time, care. Glenn. Let's see yeah. the man bun. I, <laughs> depending on how long it takes us to get back together, I might have one. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So... If you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, 
give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic.